Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Tis the season to be thoughtful, particularly in Wisconsin where I live, to be thoughtful about all the people without warm indoor spaces to live. Our local organization, Jonah, that's Joining Our Neighbors Advancing Hope, led a vigil on December 20th to highlight the problem of homelessness and to call us all together to work for solutions. Today for Spirit in Action, I'll have you all join me as I stood in some cold weather with a frigid breeze as part of a candlelit vigil held here in Eau Claire just after sunset to listen to a variety of stakeholders and concerned people, including organizers, local government activists, and a few formerly homeless individuals. Afterward, we'll go into some greater depth in talking to one of the homeless speakers, Maria Guzman, and also with a member of our city council, Emily Anderson. First, come stand with me in some very brisk weather with a cold wind breathing in our microphone in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Thank you all for coming out. This is our vigil for the homeless, uh, the Jonah religious leaders. Many thanks to the Jonah religious leaders for uh, helping to put this together. I'm David Huber. I'm the pastor at Plymouth UCC, uh, interim president of Jonah, serving for the next year. So uh, very glad to put this together. Uh, Northern Spirit Radio is here. Mark, wherever you are, thank you. They're recording, and this will go out as a spirit in action show, I believe. So thank you for uh, recording and getting the word out. And that goes to radio stations all over the country, which is quite exciting. Uh, We have a number of people that are going to speak tonight. So thank you again for being here and showing your support for those who are living on the streets here in Eau Claire. And there are quite a few. And also uh, to come here and show our support for uh, we had 11 people that died in the last year. We want to remember them, lift up their lives that have died simply because they have no place for shelter, uh, living in the harsh conditions. So we want to lift our candles up to them, and then also, as winter begins tomorrow, want to remember all those who continue to live on the street and are facing these harsh conditions and horrible weather. So much of it probably easily solved, especially in a, a land of such abundance and a community of such abundance to have people living on the street is uh, a terrible sin and a stain on the rest of us. So... Let's uh, take a moment and center ourselves and offer some words to the universe here. Holy One, Great Spirit, Creator, Pure Love, Infinite Life and Light, you who are known by so many names, we lift up to you the 11 innocent souls who have died this past year while living on the streets of a city with such abundance. And we lift up to you in advance all who will likely die this coming year because of a lack of shelter or lack of health care because we have just decided that we're okay with some having much and some having nothing. We ask that you turn us from these ways and inspire us to give up our comforts of excess so that others can simply have enough and teach us to truly love our neighbors and to offer justice to all. And amen. And so may it be. So I invite uh, Maria to come forward. Speaking as a former homeless person, I've seen a lot of pain, a lot of issues, especially mental issues that, 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 that should be met 
Uh, we do have the resources, and we just need to care a little bit more because we know about today, but we don't know about tomorrow. I, I worked with the homeless in Philadelphia, and I became homeless myself. And it's, uh, it's a whole different thing. You look at everything all di- mostly a different way. But I believe that if we care enough and to know that this can happen to anyone, it, it, it can happen at any time, it could be something minor, and it, it will bring you down to the point where you lose everything, and I'm not even speaking material, you lose yourself. But I believe there's... This here, whatever happened to me and brought me to this place here, I found so much love here. It's unbelievable. I'm from the big cities, and they're so cold. I came here, and I found help from my homeless people that were around me. They cared so much for me. And if we do that, we give that back. It's going to make a difference. This can happen to anyone at any time. This is nothing that you can say it's all because they did something wrong. No, it could be anything that could happen to you. And it can make you just lose yourself, lose your respect, you lose everything. All I'm asking is for everyone to care. Care for your fellow man. Don't be scared of us. I say us. I always say us. Don't be scared. All we need is just that one person to sit for a few minutes and find out what's going on. That's all it takes. It's just a little time. So that's, I'm sorry, that's all I have to say. God bless. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Next, I'm going to ask Michelle Pride, representing the Chippewa Valley Street Ministry, to come up. As the Chippewa Valley Street Ministry enters our 10th winter on the street, we've reflected on what's changed for our homeless friends over this last decade. This is the first year there's not been a day center to shelter and avoid the weather, find drinking water, bathrooms, and for general safety. We see a nervousness among our friends as winter's here, as they wonder how they'll survive the elements until the shelter opens each evening. There is no warming center today for the elements until the shelter opens. We fear that this situation is becoming life or death. Over the last three years, we've experienced an average of 11 deaths per year of our homeless friends, and we're quite sure there have been more that we are not aware of. Several homeless veterans have committed suicide over the past two years. Other homeless friends have died for a variety of reasons, and their passing usually goes unnoticed to the general public. Last December, when the homeless shelter was located four miles outside of the downtown area, on more than a few occasions there were reports of having over 100 guests in the evening. Now that the shelter has returned to the downtown area and is able to house less than half that many guests, the street ministry is noticing people starting to sleep outside in the doorways and in churches, encampments, and other parts of the city. We've been handing out sleeping bags, blankets, and tents along with food and water and warm clothing during our evening safety checks to help our friends with their survival. Long underwear, heavier gloves, boots, hats, all these things we're blessed to have because of the generosity of our community. Our ministry volunteers had a conversation one evening after being out serving our brothers and sisters and agreed that there's a general sense of hopelessness in the homeless community. There's no housing, there's nowhere to go, few options for bathrooms, water is difficult to access, parks are closed and it's obviously cold outside. 
Some people have the ability to take a bus and get a cup of coffee somewhere and wait out the day, but others can't do that and must find a place where they're safe, warm, near a bathroom, have access to food and water, and not considered to be loitering or in the way. While the items we disperse provide warmth and safety and our visits provide a sense of family and friendship, this is a temporary fix for a much, much larger problem. The trauma our street friends have suffered, both by their own hands and at the hands of others, is more than I can bear at times, and it weighs heavily on my heart. I am grateful for my volunteer partners who interject humor into their care of others. I am grateful for the local shelters, though often overflowing. I'm grateful to other community partners who offer a safe space to spend the day, share a meal, a hug, or a smile. And I'm grateful for this larger community of people who do care about others, helping us do all we can to alleviate some of the need and discomfort of our friends on the street. But there is so much more to do. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I now invite Nikki. Hi, my name is Nikki Walsh. Five years ago, I spent the winter living in my van in the middle of winter, freezing cold temperatures. I was fortunate enough to have a van to live in, but I didn't have enough money for gas to keep it running. You know, I had to sleep under numerous blankets, and I was, like I said, very fortunate. I know that this community cares. There's a lot of people here that care but there's also a lack of the resources and the housing options for people. We need more options for people. When I tried to get housing because I have a conviction history, it was almost impossible. So trying to find a place to live was near impossible. Um, sorry. I think that us as a community, we need to come together to try to help those less fortunate. We need to try to help the people that are on the streets right now because standing out here freezing right now is nothing compared to having to try to live out here on the streets day in and day out. I think that's it. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nikki, for sharing. Jason, welcome. Hi, my name is Jason, and um, I've been homeless before, and I can't, I can't imagine last winter we were lucky enough to have, like, the 24-7 shelter going on. This winter, I think, is even colder, and I know, like, right over there where that bridge is, that's, like, one of the ninth most coldest places in the world. So I, <laughs> just anybody that could do anything to help warm the homeless, would, uh, I appreciate <clears throat> And, uh... I guess one of the things that I'd like to say about how hard it is when you're homeless to pull yourself back up again because, you know, you're down to your last paycheck, you're down to your last cent, you're down to your last everything. And when you're looking for help, it's shuffle in, okay, get warm. Yes, I got a, I got a good meal. Yes, okay, I can kind of get my head back right. And then when you get pushed out the next morning and then have to constantly keep those wheels turning of how I'm going to stay warm and this and that, it's very, very hard to focus on a job or, you know, like, let's say your phone, you drop it, 
you break your phone, you know, and they're counting on that for a job. And then the next thing you know, you got to wait a week before you get another phone. Just things like that. And, like, there used to be the library where you could go and make phone calls. And, and this year, you know, I, I understand COVID, but, I mean, this year with construction and everything else going on, it's really, really hard for people. So some of the things that I thought of that might be able to help with this, some of these situations is, number one, I mean, for the size town, we definitely need a bigger shelter for everyone. I think everyone's in agreement for that. More hands on deck for uh, mental problems and AODA issues and, and maybe a program that focuses on if you are homeless, maybe you go to the top of a list for housing if you're working an AODA program inside of the homeless shelter if they had something that would be you know along those lines that would put you up a little bit higher than somebody that's not trying as hard as you are to get out of being homeless. Just more positive reinforcement programs and maybe a, a big brother's, big sister's program for homeless people, you know, to keep, to help, help keep people on task. You know, like say, hey, did you get this done? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And to keep the other programs, too, to keep calling them on behalf of the people to say, hey, you know, what's going on here? You know, can you, what's going on with this person or that person? You know, because we're their designated brother or sister. And, you know, just programs like that, maybe something along those lines will help somebody, you know, stay alive. So, thank you. So after now hearing from those who've experienced homelessness, I'm going to ask that you, if your candle's not lit, um, you can borrow fire from another person. If you do not have a candle, there are some up here, up front. I welcome Pastor Patrick Patterson. Friends, we have heard from others who have experienced homelessness themselves. We want to just take a moment now to remember those folks who have died as homeless folks this past year. As David said, we've had 11 in our area and countless others across the state. Uh, This is not a new problem, but a problem that needs some new ideas. And so as we gather here, let us remember those 11 people. Let us pray. Dear God, you know their names. You knew them as you knit them in their mother's womb. As you have cared for them, uh, help us care for those who are, are still here, struggling with those same challenges. Lord, we know that each one of those who died this year had a mother and a father. They had family. They had friends. They had challenges in this world, and we pray, Lord, that those challenges uh, that all of the folks on the street are facing might be made a little less challenging through our efforts. Empower us with the gifts you've given us that we might create some change, create ways that we can reduce the challenges of the homelessness in our area and hopefully spread that across the world. As we think about those 11, we hold a moment of silence now for them. Gracious God, we lift up our prayers to you, trusting that you hear them and that you will give us the resources to help bring about change. Amen. Our program is now going to shift to a time of building hope, 
and learning some things and coming together to be stronger. I'd like to invite Councilperson Emily Anderson. Thank you. I'm really grateful to be here tonight to hear such powerful words from community members. Standing here, I can't help but think that if this group of people right here had more power, things would be different. We would have the change that we need. It is not for lack of love. It is for lack of power. And so since I'm an elected official and have a small amount of power, I want to talk a little bit about why I think things are the way they are and how we can move forward and what I see the city's role as in doing that. First, I want to thank a little bit. There's been a lot of work by people here and people at the city in trying to create change, and I want to honor that. But I also know that we aren't where we need to be. As a city council member, I very quickly learned the capacity limits of local government, limits of staffing, limits of money, but mostly limits of power. You may or may not know that the state of Wisconsin limits what cities can do to reduce economic injustice. We're not allowed to require employers to pay a living wage. We're not allowed to require developers to include affordable housing units in their buildings. We're not allowed to reject developments because community members can't afford to live there. And we are not allowed to raise taxes above a certain limit set by the state, even though our community members badly need services. So to my mind, this means that within these limits, the role of the city can be to help us as a community build our power to create these changes. We can do that with some financial resources, and we can also do that by leading collaborations across the community with different organizations to create solutions and to grow our power. Things don't have to be like this. Things can change. And what we're doing tonight, coming together, listening to the wisdom of people who have been working on this issue and who have experienced this injustice, that is one way that we're building our power. So let's keep it going and continue to grow. Thank you. Man, it's cold, guys, so bear with me. All right, my name is Libby. I am a social worker in the community, and my job today is to help educate you guys and also lift up the voices of some of the individuals that have spoken up about their experiences. And I think I really just hope that we take a moment and listen and listen to these voices because. It was so hard for the people who took the survey that I'm going to tell you about to speak up. We went to the shelter in June and we asked individuals to take a survey. The number of people that said, no, I'm not gonna do it because no one's gonna listen anyway. Why should I take time to do this? Because no one's gonna listen. So my hope today is that you guys listen and we're gonna talk about what we got from this survey and what we've done to show people that we did listen and also what we need from you to show that we're continuing to listen. 47 people spoke up and they said, yeah, there's an issue in our community. We need help and this is what's going on for us. 100% of the people that we spoke to were not veterans. And I think this is telling because I think veterans more than anybody are feeling unheard and feeling not listened to and feeling hurt by the systems. They're supposed to serve them because they served us. So we went through and we surveyed individuals and asked them about different areas of their life. And 
Um, we wanted to get at basic needs and try to get a feel for what are the basic needs that are missing in our community that we need to fill. So we asked about overnight stays. So a lot of people use the shelter. Most people were using the shelter. A lot of people admitted, though, that they were camping and doing other things, staying outside at night. Again, this was June, but that's not totally different than now, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But a lot of people had said, yes, we, we are staying at the shelter, but we're also staying in vehicles. We're staying in entryways of businesses. We are staying in parks. You know, We're staying in the woods, doing things like that. This is where people are staying. People are staying along the riverbank even, trying to stay out of the way so that they're unseen in order to protect themselves from other individuals and the police. So part of this, hearing that there was a need for more overnight space, with Christchurch Cathedral's help, we're opening up a warming center again. And there will be overflow space in order to meet people's needs so that they don't have to stay outside and they don't have to get kicked out of shelter and have to stay outside. Yeah, yeah, it's really awesome, guys. There's no long-term solution yet, though. And we need your help to try to find that long-term solution because this is just a temporary effort. We need something that's going to be permanent. We asked people about where they go during the day. What was most telling about this was that people didn't feel comfortable where they went. People didn't feel welcome where they went. People felt like they were being judged and they didn't feel safe there. So they were saying that more than 50% of the people struggled to find a place to go and an even higher percentage, over 60% of people said, I don't feel comfortable even if I can find a place to go. Knowing that we need to find ways to make people feel included and welcome in our community and not feel targeted for you know, experiencing homelessness. And so again, the temporary warming center is going to open up on Sundays for people to have a place to be during the day. We're hoping to eventually expand those hours, but Sunday's a very critical need in our community, especially downtown, because the buses don't run. And guys, okay, I, I try not to cry here, but yesterday I was helping individuals from the community staying at Sojourner House set up the warming center. It was me and nine other guys that were trying to help set this up. And they were moving boxes and cleaning and taking so much pride in their space. And I asked them, can you be honest with me? Where do you go during the day? Where do you go on Sundays? And they said, the bar. The bar. The bar is the only place that's welcoming them. So their choice is to be outside in the cold or lean into addiction. What do people choose, right? So, Susan will give more of a call to action, but we need people to help staff that warming center to make it a reality because we need to keep people out of those situations so that they can do what they need to do to lead their best lives, to get back on track to what they want to be. So we need your help with that. We asked about food and water. Um, but only 67% um, of people said that they had food share. People lose their food share because people steal their cards. They trade their cards. They lose their ability to have food share for various reasons because they're told that they committed fraud because they didn't report some change in address or whatever it may be. So people lost their food share. So people sometimes don't have the ability to buy food. And when people told me, why is it that you don't eat some days? Because people reported that there were times where they didn't eat. They said, I'm too depressed to eat. I've lost my card or it was stolen. And it's hard to get to places to use it because our downtown area is not friendly to people who need to use food share. People use the community table, but there are limitations to how much they can serve and what they can do. And they need your help too in order to continue to make this a reality. 
Transportation. This was a huge focus for us because we wanted to make things happen quickly in the areas of transportation. People said they were walking and people were walking way too much with bags on their backs and extra bags in their hands because they had to carry their entire livelihoods with them. We have a wonderful bus system in Eau Claire and we hope that it continues to grow and continues to make impacts for people because they need to get to places. People said, if I was given a bus pass, I would absolutely use it without a doubt. People spoke up and said they needed that. So, big thank you to the Eau Claire Transit Commission because they are working with us to make sure that we have unlimited bus passes in the hands of people experiencing homelessness. So, this is a solution for people Monday through Saturday to be able to be mobile throughout our community to access services that are going to help them and to be able to go where they need to go to be able to have the self-determination in their life to choose where they're going, just like every citizen should. There's a lot of demands still in this area. There's demands for people to be able to have transportation that goes to affordable housing because downtown and a lot of central Eau Claire is not affordable housing. People want bus service to the outskirts. People want Sunday service. People want to be able to go to Lake Halley to be able to get to jobs that are on the outskirts of town where people can get employed. So that is still a demand, so please speak up. Storage, something we don't think about when we have a roof over our heads. We need to be able to store things so we don't have to carry everything with us. 71% of people said they do not have a place to store their belongings. If they do have storage, they said things like a vehicle, a storage unit, or outside. Outside is not where we store our things, right? That is where things get stolen. That's where things get destroyed. That's not storage. When we asked people, what would you like to store? They said clothes, out-of-season clothes, an extra pair of clothes, backpacks. And now I want you to think about all the things you need your vital documents for in your life. Every time you need to get a job, if you need food share, if you need health insurance, there's so many things that we need vital documents for in our life. And people who are experiencing homelessness continuously lose or have their documents destroyed or stolen. They're not able to get their services and they have major delays in services because they have to replace their vital documents over and over and over again. People asked, I want a place to store my vital documents. Something simple. One individual said, I don't have many belongings because people steal my stuff all the time and I'm forced to carry all my stuff with me. Another individual told me that they want a place to store their things so they don't look homeless, so they're not targeted day after day because they have their belongings with them. We asked about hygiene, another basic need that we sometimes don't think about and take for granted. 53% of people said they do not have enough bathroom access. And I want to say, people said they have bathroom access, but then they reported that they were going to the bathroom outside or they had to walk a mile to get to a gas station. So I believe that the need is much higher than that 53% when we look at the true, true meaning of what bathroom access is. At the very end of this survey, we asked people, what are the top three things that you are prioritizing? What is most important to you? They said my own apartment, some place to stay during the day, and bathroom access. So I hope today, after you've listened and learned with me, that you're willing to take some of this information with you and hopefully amplify these voices of what I've just told you today. Thank you. It's very humbling to be in this space my name is Susan Wolfgram, and I'm co-chair of the Jonah Affordable Housing Task Force. I've prepared my remarks. 
Our task force is a partner in our community effort to urgently open the day and overflow overnight warming center at Christ Church Cathedral and the long-term community effort to build a day resource center. Tonight, in this public space, we bear witness to our urgent need for safe and warm day and overnight overflow sheltering for our unhoused neighbors. We have been standing in this space for about 40 minutes. The cold may have necessitated some of us to leave, perhaps for health reasons, and to go to a place we call home. Many of us, including myself, are beginning to feel uncomfortable, feeling the chill. Let the cold serve as our reminder that we must empathize. We must imagine what our unhoused brothers and sisters experience when they are forced to live and do their best to survive on our unforgiving streets for 11 hours with no warm and safe place to just be and rest until Sojourner's House opens for the night. We must imagine what it might feel like to be turned away on a cold winter's night because the shelter is full. There can be no fairness or justice in a society in which some live in homelessness or in the shadow of that risk while others cannot even imagine it. We must imagine. Bus passes and other default public spaces like the library are only gap measures that may help the public feel just a little bit better. However, these measures, although needed with no other alternative, obscure our true and urgent need for day shelter and ultimately housing for everyone. Housing is a human right. This vigil is a prayerful call to action. Again, we are in urgent need of volunteers to open the warming center at Christ Church Cathedral. Our goal is to be open all week through the winter. However, in order to sustain, we need the volunteer capacity. We ask that you consider serving as a volunteer. Please refer to the flyer that you received when you arrived, and if you do not have one, please get one from Lynn. We ask that you share the sign-up link with your networks. Every volunteer, every shift matters. I thank Jackie for this in the song, Becoming What We Pray, to the God of your own understanding. Father Marchianda reminds us that, quote, it is not up to God alone to listen to prayer. It is not up to God alone to answer. For it is when believers truly practice what we pray, then the world will be transformed. End of quote. In this act of public witness, let us become what we pray, demonstrating that love and justice can be carried out through us. Peace, love, and good health to all. Thank you. Keep that applause going for all our speakers tonight. Thank you so much all for being here. It matters. Your presence makes a difference. Thank you for bearing the cold and listening to everyone who spoke tonight. 
Please let what you experienced here tonight remind you. Every time you feel cold, let it remind you and go out and do what needs to be done. Talk to people about what you heard and be thankful for your home when you go to sleep tonight. I hope you felt the low temperatures and heard the shivery wind as a decent-sized group of us listened to many powerful witnesses to a call to deal with homelessness in a vigil sponsored by Jonah, a collection of mostly faith-based groups here in the Chippewa Valley of Wisconsin. We'll be talking in greater depth to two of the speakers from the vigil, but I wanted to remind you that you are listening to Spirit in Action, website northernspiritradio.org where you can find a link to Jonah as well as connections with some of the speakers but we've also got such links on our site to all of the Northern Spirit Radio guests since 2005 along with a place for you to share comments please do that and while you're there consider clicking the donate button to support us we're lucky to have a great organization like Jonah here and wherever you're listening from I hope you know of and participate in similar groups where you live. And I hope you have your own great community-rooted radio and media sources. We've got the wonderful WHYS LP radio station here in Eau Claire. And there are some 42 stations scattered nationwide which are carrying these programs. Please support them with your hands and wallets because media and getting the word out are vital parts of doing world healing work. Support your local community radio station and Northern Spirit Radio to help us lift up vital voices like what you're hearing here today. One of the speakers at the vigil was Maria Guzman, and I'm sitting down with her right now to go into some greater depth about how she ended up homeless, how she got out of that really tough situation, and how she is working now to offer a hand up to other homeless folks, including through her work as a member of the Altoona City Council. Join me as I sit down with Maria Guzman. Maria, how wonderful to have time with you last night in the freezing cold and here today for Spirit in Action. So glad to have met you. And yes, it was a very emotional and wonderful evening, actually. And I am so glad that we are here sharing this interview. Thank you so much. And actually, you've taken me to a place I haven't been to before. We're in Altoona, which for our listeners across the United States, Altoona is, I don't know, suburb. It's a neighboring town for Eau Claire. There's no obvious distinction between the two. We're, we're, we're gathered. And you are living in subsidized housing here in Altoona. Tell me about this place you're staying at. Oh, my goodness. That's how I could start to speak about Solis Circle and Altoona itself. It's a beautiful little city. This affordable housing has been a haven for 25 units. It's actually been a haven for all of us. We're very fortunate to be here. We look after each other. It's helped so much, and we, we are hoping to build more places like this because we do need them to start over. And I thank our council people, our mayor, our city administrator. They're all very awesome, awesome people that do care. And we're trying to show that. My understanding is that you were the first resident. You said there's 25 units, but you were number one. And I think I heard that last night. Maria's number one. Maria's (laughs) number one. How did you end up here? While being at the shelter at Sojourner House, I started working at Workforce Resource and got on a list I'd say like probably like five or six months later, I got a call 
at that time, I had gotten sick. I ended up at the hospital. Pastor Mike, God bless his soul, and Christine Wurzlowski were among the people helping us at Sojourner House. I was introduced to them. They helped me so much. They even paid for a place for me to stay because they had given me the wrong medications at the hospital. And that's when I got the call that I was accepted. I had a place here at Solar Circle. I moved in here, it was the end of September, with nothing but a blanket and some clothes. But I had my home. I was here almost a month before anyone else moved in. I remember coming for the grand opening of the place. And here I was. I had gotten off work, went to King's Closet, got a little outfit, came up here on the bus. I love my transit people in Eau Claire. And came in here, and there were all these, my goodness, people, I said. I I don't belong here. They were the mayor. There was state representative Jesse James. The police force. (laughs) Of course, then I see Julian Emerson, our journalist and my friend, walking in through the door. His eyes open-minded, too. We hugged, and it was just amazing. We had people from the Altoona Coalition here also, the food pantry, which they helped so many people here. They just welcomed me with open arms. Then the mayor asked me to cut the ribbon, and that was the most awesomest time of my life. It was, it was surreal. So I kept going, kept going to work, taking the bus, walking a mile to <laughs> the bus stop. And that's when I said, wait a minute, I should drop a petition. We need more buses. We need more stops. So my brain started working over time. And I got that rolling. That that was pretty cool. And then uh, a few months later, before Thanksgiving, I remember coming home from work one day. And here is the mayor bringing pies for all the residents that were living here, which I thought to me, that was like, oh my goodness, this is cool. This, I can't believe this. I'm in, another, I'm, I'm in another planet. And right before Thanksgiving, we had a meet and greet for our residents here. The mayor came in and he comes in through the door and with a folder in his hand asking me if I wanted to be on the council for the third district in Altoona. And I thought, nah, this can't be happening. <laughs> I mean, who am I? I mean, I'm thinking I'm ho- I am was homeless. Uh, what do I have to offer? I'm trying to get myself together. I just couldn't believe it, uh, especially with my history of good things happening. And I said, uh, I need some time. I thought about it. Then I said, you know what? Yeah, I've got ideas. I think I can help. This must be a sign for more good things for me to do, to have a voice. So I said yes, and... I'm on my second year, and I'm running for re-election. It's an amazing journey. And people, you know, when they heard you speak last night, they may or may not realize what a rough road it's been for you to get here. What people listened to last night was put together by Jonah, joining our neighbors Advancing Hope. And special love and praise goes out to Lynn Buskey, who was a lead organizer for that and who's been a friend of mine since 2008. What's your connection with Jonah? Also, while being at the shelter, Paul Zvides reached out to me. We met at Acoustic Cafe after, my, after I got off my uh, job, and we met there. We just throw in ideas, and he wanted to know what I thought about being, being homeless and what I thought could be done to help 
just having my experience being there. So that was very enlightening to me. That's how I know about Jonah, and I praise them for it. They are lovely people, and they are out there for such a good cause. I'm very fortunate to know them and Susan uh, Wolfgram, Lynn, of course. We used to meet up and talk about affordable housing and all that, so how we can help. You mentioned last night, Maria, that you actually worked, volunteered in a homeless shelter over in Philadelphia. Now, my understanding is that you start from Brooklyn, New York. At least one year you lived in Puerto Rico, then mainly made your home in Philadelphia almost 30 years, and then you ended up to Chicago, and eventually Chicago wasn't cold enough, so you moved up to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So you had the experience of volunteering in a homeless shelter. In some ways, people would imagine that makes you invulnerable. You couldn't end up amongst the homeless. So true. You never think that you would end up in a, in a situation like that. That's why I stress that it could be anything, whether small or big. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be not having the right time to grieve. Addiction, of course, it's always there, but it's that's a thing that is most looked at badly. That's the first thing you would think is addiction. Also, if that is the case, you have to understand that something had to lead you to that choice. So with me, it was uh, health issues. Of course, losing a, a partner for so many years and having to start all over on your own. There's so many things that could lead you to that, and I, I found that out. Like I said, it was health issues and not having anyone at all, just losing someone that you really, really care for and being totally alone. There's a piece that you didn't mention. There must have been something to lead you to Eau Claire. Again, Eau Claire is colder than most of the places you've lived, and certainly far colder than anything that anybody's going to experience in Puerto Rico. I understand you came here because you have a grandson you were taking care of, and then the place that had been offered you to care for him, that was ripped from under your feet, and that's part of your loss. You end up at Sojourner House, which is a homeless shelter here in Eau Claire. When you're at Sojourner House, how much of the day can you be indoors there? Do you have to get out all day long? Correct, yes. You have to be out by 8 and you have to spend the whole day outdoors till seven seven thirty in the evening. At that time, we had positive avenues and the gals and the guys there, which helped a lot. We would eat there. We would get help with information. It was a warm place. We had the library. That's actually what we had was positive avenues and the library. Uh, other than that, warm or cold, we had Phoenix Park or the benches on Barstow. So, Maria, how long were you actually homeless? It was actually about, I'd say, like seven months before I came here to Solar Circle, before I got my home. I remember carrying all my stuff every day. I have health issues. I've got fibro. I've got all kinds of arthritis and, and whatever, but still had to be strong and get through all that. There's a whole lot of your history, which we're not going to share here today. You shared it with me earlier, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to understand you. I'm thankful to know you. 
There's one thing that I would like to share with our listeners for Spirit in Action. That was a period where you were walking north on Barstow towards Phoenix Park, and you'd given up hope. Would you be willing to talk about that at all? Most definitely, yes. I uh, was walking towards Phoenix Park. I was tired, had all these bags, had everything, just wondering if there was going to be another tomorrow. But then I didn't want for there to be another tomorrow. I had given up. I said, this is it. This is all she wrote. I can't do this anymore. My family's okay. I don't care about myself right now. I'm done. I have nothing more to give. So I stopped at the bridge on Barstow, right there at Phoenix Park. I looked in, I looked down and said, this is it. I put my bags down, put my foot up on the ledge. And just as I was about to end it all, there was this hand that reached out for me. I remember the voice and I can still not to this day remember the face because I was so traumatized. I was so out of it. I, I just wanted to just get it over and done with. And this voice, this lady's voice, asked how I was, are you okay? And all I could say was started screaming, no, I am not okay. I've lost everything. I have nothing. I don't have anyone. I am done. I can't do this anymore. And the next thing I know, the ambulance showed up, and I ended up at psych ward at Mayo for about 14 days. Then went back to Sojourner after that, tried to get my life back on track with all the angels that were surrounding me when I got back, which were my homeless fellows and the staff there that I can't say, oh my goodness, they held my hand and they told me I was worth something, that I was worthy of life and that I had so many things going for me when I still shook my head and said no. They gave me hope when I thought there was none at all. I just want to give everyone out there hope. I know it's hard. I was there, and you lose it. But don't. There are people among you that wish the best and that are willing to help. There's so much more we could talk about, Maria. And again, you've, you shared so much of your story with me, and I'm thankful for that. I just want to thank you for last night sharing the work, the ideas that you have for both Eau Claire and for our neighboring community, Altoona. You're willing to serve the community and the council and the many ways that you've nurtured so many people in life and allowed some of that nurture to come back to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. It was a pleasure and a blessing to know you, and I definitely wanted, would love to work in the future with you and share some more stories and try and make a change. Again, that was Maria Guzman, and we've got a link on Northern Spirit Radio to help you connect up with her work. She's just one of many folks really putting their hearts fully into efforts to extend care and find solutions to homelessness and the need for affordable housing. Last up for today's Spirit in Action is a visit with a member of the Eau Claire City Council, Emily Anderson, part of what makes our city a caring and compassionate place. Here's Emily via Zoom. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today for Spirit in Action. Well, thanks for having me here. I hope you recovered from last night's icy vigil and that you didn't lose any body parts due to exposure. It was very cold. It was a good experience to connect with that and, and to think about folks who don't have the opportunity to go someplace warm whenever they want. I think there are a number of members of the Eau Claire City Council who've been very concerned about homelessness and affordable housing. How did you get to be the special one to be part of the vigil last night? 
Number one is that I was in town <laughs> and <laughs> I was around, but I, I think I know the Jonah folks and I have definitely been part of those efforts on council to create more economic justice for people in our community. In your presentation last night, you talked about the ways the state of Wisconsin does not allow Eau Claire to take effective action or to take as effective action as the city council has aspired to. Could you talk a little bit about what the Eau Claire City Council has been doing to address homelessness and affordable housing? Definitely. I think that affordable housing in the city, it's a big and complicated issue. We have convened a housing opportunities commission to help guide the council as we work through this issue because it is so complicated. And that commission includes stakeholders from a variety of different kind of places, like both people with real estate type of experience and also people with lived experience struggling to find housing that they could afford. So we listen to that commission and also to other voices in the community as we think about how we can make this a community where everybody has a safe place to live. And we need housing of all different kinds. We need housing for people who have very little income. And we also need to see how we can use housing as a way for people to build wealth so that we have more equity in our community long term and that it becomes sustainable for people. So that means that the city is kind of trying lots of different things and looking for lots of different partnerships because with the kinds of limitations that we have from the state, we really need to get creative and work with different organizations and different people to get the housing stock that we need for all of our community. One of those things that we've done is in kind of a a collaboration with the state, with a private developer, provided some cash incentives for development that includes housing at many different income levels. So lower income levels, medium income, and then market rate type of housing. And that will be done by the brewing project near the Cannery District. So we've done some projects, a couple of projects like that. Really where I see some of the real work that needs to happen is on bringing everybody together around this because it is such a complicated problem that affects people in lots of different ways. And so having leadership and you know participating in the GAPS committee that's been trying to come together around a day shelter for people experiencing homelessness or providing bus passes so that people who are experiencing homelessness can at least get out of the cold for a little bit. Those are some of the things the city's doing, but it's it's challenging because you want to provide a response that's both like to people's emergency needs and also these long-term needs to have people be able to have long-term secure housing that helps them to grow their wealth and their overall financial security. You speak about this, Emily, quite knowledgeably, quite thoroughly. Is that, <laughs> is that because you've been studying it for the city council or did you come to the city council with this knowledge already, this agenda already in your mind? No, I mean, I I knew that poverty and economic inequality were really important issues to me because I grew up here in Eau Claire. And one of the ways that the city has changed, and the city has changed in a lot of great ways. We have a wonderful community that comes together to envision new possibilities. And, you know, we've revitalized our downtown. But one of the things that has changed since I was a kid growing up here is a job space that provide family supporting wages for people. And so we have problems with poverty that were much bigger than when I was a kid. And those are that was some of the things that motivated me to run for office. But as far as housing policy, that's something I've kind of had to learn. (laughs) What is your education that prepared you? And how did you come to be on the city council? The arts and humanities is my background. So I came back to Eau Claire. I left Eau Claire for college, went away for lots of different types of school and other opportunities. And then I came back when I was finishing my dissertation and I have a PhD in English. I was writing about, kind of about housing a little bit. I was writing a little bit about the little house on the prairie. Uh, (laughs) And 
specifically how new generations of immigrant writers have adapted those to talk about coming to the U.S. and forming a new home in the U.S. So housing and home has always been pretty important to me. I wound up staying in Eau Claire after finishing that dissertation and kind of realizing that I wanted to put some of those ideas that I'd been thinking about in the abstract around housing and home and, and what it means to be a good community more into play. And so I, I ran for office for those reasons. Well, I appreciate that you do that. Are there any messages that you'd like to send out to other cities across the United States? Spirit in Action is broadcast in a number of states all around the U.S. Some of them are dealing with the same and some dealing with different issues. What can you offer from this place? It feels to me like Eau Claire is a special place in terms of the energy that we have here right now. What can we pass on to them? Oh, that's a great question, because I think that this is a challenge that everybody is facing, and it's a really difficult problem. I think that communication and creating partnerships and finding ways to collaborate with lots of different kinds of people and help them to understand um, how important that is that we all work together to have a better a better future is, is really important. So yeah, I'd love to hear from people in other communities if they've had stuff that's worked for them because I think that really we're all in this together and we can only move forward together. Well, I'm thankful for your part in it, your connection to Jonah, the city council. Coming back to Eau Claire, while having been elsewhere, I'm sure there's a temptation to sow your wild seeds further afield. I think that we've been blessed by having you come back to here. So thank you so much, Emily. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate the chance to talk and to connect with other folks who want to see a better world and know that we can. And folks, if you want to get a hold of Emily Anderson, she just solicited your input. You're going to email her at emily.anderson at ec, that's Eau Claire, ec-citycouncil.com. The link is on northernspiritradio.org. That might be the easy way if you didn't copy that down quickly enough. And again, thanks, Emily. Yeah, thanks so much, Mark. That was Eau Claire City Council member Emily Anderson, and she was preceded by Maria Guzman, a woman who is helping the cities of Altoona and Eau Claire address homelessness, drawing on her experience of months living on the streets. And we started out by taking part in a candlelit vigil on homelessness sponsored by Jonah. There are a number of links to the organizations and people you heard here today on northernspiritradio.org. This broadcast version was limited to 55 minutes, but the full uncut versions of and bonus excerpts from the vigil and interviews are also on northernspiritradio.org. Post a comment and consider donating when you visit, but mainly we hope you add your efforts to the work of making our cities, nations, and planet a better place. Join us again next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Oh